And let's ask the let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for um, living in a literate culture, Lord, where we learn to read, gain meaning from things that we can see what you've laid down through your apostles and godly men in antiquity. Guide us this morning, this Lord, in how we approach this portion of Hebrews. In your Son's name, amen. It's hard to, you're always wondering when you're praying about Hebrews because it's always the writer of Hebrews, it's never the Apostle Paul. You can't say who wrote the thing, so you're always, what, what do I claim about this? Is it apostolic? Is it, whatever it is, it's very smart, very spiritual, and your, your, your own spirit, as you read through Hebrews, reacts to it And I was looking at this, at this portion this morning, uh, and it's one of my uh, favorite, maybe one of your favorite passages, Hebrews 12. Um, and it's one of those so favorite that you go, boy, I probably have caught it. I went and looked it up when I preached in it last, and it's been almost six years. And you go, oh. And then what if you had missed that Sunday? Then it would have been, you know, maybe 14 years. So I said, well, better, better look at it again. And there are aspects of it, obviously, that are just the wonderful things that we all see there. But it comes out of chapter 11, and chapter 11 is filled with a long list of who, through the Old Testament, lived by faith, and what they accomplished by faith. And it gets to the end, and I just have the last few verses of chapter 11 here. Starting with verse 36, others suffered mocking and scourging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It's, it's one of those things in church history that people kind of get off on, reading Fox's Book of Martyrs or something like that. And uh, various traditions have different martyrs. They close in on they like these ancient times and some young damsel named, I don't know, Perpetua or some Innocentia, standing at the stake being burned for believing the Bible or something like that, not marrying a pagan. The writer of Hebrews suggests that the old covenant was filled with such martyrs, filled with successes too. We didn't read the successes, uh, you know, the things right before that. Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouth of lions, etc., etc. Victories and defeats. The word martyr just means witness. So characters like Justin Martyr, the early Christian writer, is really Justin the witness. 
we have turned it into a word of its own people who died for the faith or whatever faith they were representing but it just means witness so all of these all of these good and bad march through the centuries trusting God and not receiving what that trust was pointing to because God was waiting for the moment to bring it about. God had foreseen something better for us. They have an impressive list of characters. But we're more accomplished. Because something has happened. Now, tragically, it's not fixing the dark part of martyrdom because the dark part of martyrdom still happens the good part of martyrdom the dark part of martyrdom all of that the witness that we are able to give hasn't changed in the nature of how we live in this world the world's still the same so what's the big deal what's the writer of Hebrews getting at he says therefore verse 1 of chapter 12 since, he says, looking back at that whole chapter where I gave you a list of all the things done for over millennia, literally, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, martyrs, but witnesses in the strict sense, and you have to say, what? they're either, you know, we call someone a martyr, it's not because of what they witnessed, but that they witness in it, that they stand for it. They refuse to recant. They refuse to give in. They give with their lives their claim to this thing. But the writer of Hebrews has suggested we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And he's referring to both the good and the bad, the ones who were successful and the ones that weren't. There is a suggestion that they are witnessing you. They are in the stands at, uh, in this case, a track meet. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. It says, okay, it's just like you're at the Olympics and you are the guys that are down on the track and you've got to do the mile and all of these people from antiquity are sitting in the stands watching how you run the mile. Now that relationship can be carried out different ways. You could also look back, it says since we are surrounded by them, you've just been encouraged to consider their lives, consider their circumstances, how they believed God. Because let us also lay aside, it says let us model our lives in some sort of way off of what um, off of what they have done, you do things. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Now, the basic uh, 
benefit of certain portions of scripture is you could throw it any aspect of that passage against the wall, it will stick. You know, it's, it's, it's just got good coming out of it all sorts of different directions. What we're looking at this morning is that you have a metaphor of running a race which goes from here to there and you have this um, celebrity quality to it that people are looking at you run it and you're supposed to do something with it. There's a couple of things that are being promised you or being, you're being pushed towards regarding this metaphor of moving from here to there along a track. It starts in verse 1 of chapter 12. It also makes an echo of it in um, of chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. Now, what I want you to think about doing is pulling apart the, the instructions. Because it has a, a group of instructions that we're supposed to do something with and our expectation of the world because, you know, we have a beautiful fall day out there. We live in North Idaho. Uh, we're middle class. We come to our own warm little church building. We sing hymns pretty good. We're pretty good at it. And we go home, have some lunch. Nobody's kicking my door down. Nobody's imprisoning me or anyone else. No one is sawing me in two. Give them time, but nobody is yet. And in some ways, we have become addicts to rejoicing because it's a good circumstance. Not rejoicing for the right circumstance, rejoicing because it's a good circumstance. Well, we do rejoice when we have victories, and ought to. They celebrated when David was victorious in battle. But they also had to face when he was not. They also had to face when someone killed a prophet of God. Now, we have to see whether or not does Christianity fulfill something that the Old Testament's saints, you know, getting cut in two and being tortured and the like, didn't get. We get the good times, they get the bad or the mixed. I don't think that's the way it works. This race is set up to include, if you look at um, verse 3 through verse 11. I'm going to come back to some of the things it says right before it, but it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, there were churches in antiquity who followed the Lord Jesus Christ who no one was tying to stakes and no one was feeding to lions. Nice town, college town maybe, with nice shops. And nobody had gotten around yet to turning you into the proconsul because you believed in Jesus. But you heard about people that were. You've not, whoever he's writing to, these Jews who are Christians, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. He is not claiming that the Christian life in circumstance is any different than the Old Testament life. They had martyrs, they served God and were victorious, they served God and were tortured. 
And he tells you basically in that middle section from 3 through 11 to accept this discipline of the Lord. It's painful rather than pleasant. If you don't receive this discipline, you're not... This is something we're, we're supposed to endure. What the world is, you're supposed to endure. So I want you to think in those terms. Christianity does not fix your life and what happens to it. I I tell people occasionally, yes, it's going to kill you. There is no, no one, what Jim Morrison said, no one gets out of here alive. We all die. By the way, Ginger Baker died. kind of a day, huh? It's kind of like when Tom Wolfe died. A little, it was sort of a man, Tom Wolfe, now Ginger Baker. Young people are going, what? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, drummer for Cream, for heaven's sake, or your sanctity. What? Ginger Baker's Air Force, wasn't it? That was another one. Okay. Ooh. Trivia, trivia contest. Well, just know, it's a dark day in rock and roll. Uh, he had drug problems. We're not, we, we need to know why we're in this and how we deal with whatever the world throws at you. You could be walking you know, friends of all men, everybody likes you, people just tend to give you things from compliments to money and contracts and stuff happens and other people are just just trying to get along and other people nobody likes and bruises all over their body for being touched with a 10-foot pole. They just, people want to stay away from some people. But that sort of, you know, life, kills you. It will get so bad at some point I tell young marrieds this or in premarital gaslight one of you is going to watch the other one die. Just generally speaking. Maybe if you're lucky and it's a car accident you can go out together. But generally you're going to watch the other one die. None of you just say well I'm not going to marry them. Then no one's going to watch you die. But you're going to die. And it's going to die because the world is futility, because of sin. Your bodies are dead because of sin. This happens. Now, buck up, get your big boy panties on, and say, what what, what am I doing? What am I actually doing? If that's the case, what am I doing? Well, I'm considering what's gone before me. And since I know what's gone before me, I say, I've got to run this race with perseverance and I've got to know how to run it. Since I'm not running it, I would like watching uh, track and field. One, because I cannot run like a gazelle. You may have suspected that. But some people in this world can. They can do repeated, you know, five-minute miles for 26 miles. You know, they can... They can just keep running, and, and you watch them, and they don't seem to touch the ground. Their legs are always stretched out. It's remarkable. 
But they're running for the tape, the end. And boy, you could say, man, you've been running for a long time, but then they have the kick at the end when they still, I still got something. And trying to fool each other about how much they've got and when they're going to reveal how much they've got. And they speed up. But they're running for the tape. And you say to yourself, what's the tape? What's the podium where I get gold, silver, bronze? What, what am I measuring with that trophy? Because I've got to lay aside, because of these witnesses, I've got to also face this race with laying off the weight. That's why, that's why you don't run, Evan. Yes, that is why I don't run. Every weight and sin which clings so closely. Things that cling closely to you, you've got to take with you when you run. It's not the kind of thing you go into the locker room and take your keys out of your pocket and, and all of those lead weights I was carrying around with me, put them in the locker. So I go out there and run without the lead weights. Now these are things that cling closely. Sin, you got that's obvious. But you got also got weight. And I have to run in such a way that it's a commitment. That's what perseverance means, right? It's a race set before us, and the tape is set in two places sequentially. Or more. But there's a couple here that stand out to me. First is looking to Jesus. And we covered that a few weeks ago. We were we were in Colossians, Colossians 3, and, and, uh, and it tells us in Colossians 3, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not where things are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That is your tape. You, you, you lay aside the weights that would keep you from running to Christ efficiently. You lay aside the sins that keep you from running to Christ efficiently. In such a way that when you persevere, <coughs> that when you persevere, you get to that end. And, and you know, it kind of doesn't really matter at that point whether your little Johnny got a Rhodes Scholarship. Because we have to measure what we think is the payout of running the race of life well. People that are just talented beyond belief, capable, good-looking, run like gazelles, then get cancer and die at 27. It just doesn't seem right. Because we have measurements. You know, yours may be six-figure income. Okay, did I tell you that? It was many years ago, back in the 80s. I was looking for work. And I, I said, I think to my wife, out loud, if I ever make $30,000 a year, we're set. 
Let that be a lesson. That how could you? That was kind of like how many megabytes were on a hard drive at the time when the first computers came out. Ten megabytes on the hard drive. Remember Doug saying, why would we ever need more than that? So you're, mon you're maybe, I was out, be fine with five figures, Evan. Well, it's probably moved up to six figures now because, boy, you'd felt like you'd crossed the tape at six. And there's other people who measure not just uh, money because There are good-looking people out there. I am not one of them. I'm neither fast nor good-looking, nor is my income six figures. Got that? So I'm, 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 that's why I'm preaching a sour grape sermon. You know, it's really all about the hard man. Because that's all I have left. But I hear that there are some very, 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 very strict, you know, ridiculously good-looking people. And you could marry one of those. A she or a he, whatever it is, whichever your preference. Um, and I've heard we were at the wedding for Andrew Bates and Livy Loveless. They have a hot tub up there in Rathrum. Seems sinful. But people were in the hot tub. I was not. Because I, I don't believe that's sin. But uh, people think that having the house with a hot tub, because it's, yeah, let me tell you, it's bourgeois. I mean, just say, I know some of you have hot tubs, just don't invite me over. It's like playing Broadway music for me. <laughs> but some people, I hit the tape. I have the house with the hot tub. I have the hot wife, the gorgeous husband. Six figures of income per annum. Thriving investments, managing my money. Are we running that race? With Christ, I'm looking to Jesus, and I'm not supposed to be looking at the weight I'm carrying. I was supposed to leave that back in the locker room. I was supposed to lay aside every weight, and Sid was clinging so closely. Success... I have a passage here from Luke 8. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Because they have a different set of things that mean to them crossing the tape, they thought they were supposed to carry all that stuff. So they're going to pick up a weight of measuring themselves, succeeding or not succeeding. Maybe even sinfully. And run the race. No, no, they're positivists. They're optimists. They're, you know, have ambitions. Christ is ambitious too. You look to Jesus, not as... Ever met somebody who looks to Jesus as some sort of way of goosing their... Uh, physical success, their monetary success, their success with the ladies, whatever it is. 
Or are they looking to Jesus because he is the success? The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because I look to him because he's really, he's the center of it, he's the good of it, he is the person who did it, made it, and made it right. Perfecter, pioneer. And he was moved in running the race. This is the wonderful thing about the Christ. He sympathized with us because he was a man. And he ran the race too. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only is it not the six figures. God bless you if you got them. It's not only is it not the really, really good looking spouse. And God bless you if you have one. Not only is it a hot tub. God bless you. But it's also when life goes sideways on you. And it did on our Lord. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. Physical pain. Not just, not just, hey, I'm not getting it quite worked out yet. My bills are a little bit dicey about whether I'm going to pay them. No, no. Someone is there driving a, you know, a spike through your foot. That tends, to, that tends to rivet the mind. That tends to make you feel, well, maybe somebody doesn't like me here. And not that we're going to crucify him more than just hang him up there and wait for him to die by suffocation endured the cross and an ignominious death shameful death and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God that's a positive you want that for the joy for the Christ who is the purveyor of everything we have who like our Christ for the joy and thirdly to be seated at the right hand of the Father and it tells us to look at Christ very specifically for this great get he got for running the race and he got kind of a pretty awful circumstance There are things that frighten us in life and we want to resolve them. Uh, Leslie keeps pointing out on the news, something awful happens and some clueless newscaster or politician always says, we have to make sure this never happens again. It was a hurricane. You don't get to, you don't get to do that. It was a mass murderer. You don't get to go, yes, we're going to keep this from ever happening again. People want to be told that because they don't want to even imagine it will ever happen again. Things frighten us. We have a, we have a, we carry the things in the race because we're a scared. And being a scared, you got to take a little, you got to take some lunch with you, got to take lunch and some lunch money and your credit cards so you will not be stranded in life. We rearrange, we rearrange our uh, 
circumstances. I'd rather not lay, I understand how you don't want me to keep my sins. Right, we're supposed to lay aside weight and sin. Say, so, okay, 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 it's the sins. I can, I, that's, that's hard enough for us. We'll confess the big ones, the ones with the most impact ruining our lives. We'll keep a few of them around. But the weights, we've got reasons for. Some, of, some people kind of like to be broken. You know, they like, they like the books about brokenness because nothing like being a victim. Nothing, nothing like being interesting because you're such a mess. We're, um, you've got all sorts of races. We're designing this entirely differently. We're told this is a race that was set before Christ. It is set before us as well. And Christ is our object. And Christ, instead of every other measure, in fact, the other measures may be the weights that keep me from running to Christ like I should. We end up being... I was talking to my father. I was waiting for him to get some aspect of his dressing done or his bathing. I think he was bathing down, sitting in the office, reading a book on R.C. Chapman, who is just an impressive Victorian saint, Plymouth Brethren. Didn't accomplish anything other than being absolutely godly. And the whole British Empire knew about R.C. Chapman, and R.C. Chapman wasn't doing anything to be known. I was reading, so I was asking my father, so few of these people, so few of these saints, because everybody else is insisting on carrying the weights with them, carrying the unnecessaries, designing then a track and field event that accommodates the weights, that maybe handicaps you a little bit. Oh, I, I, I'm bringing all this stuff along. You don't mind. Can I run in the race with other people who are bringing this stuff along? You're supposed to look at Christ. You're supposed to lay it all aside. We make Christian religion... You, I don't know if you ever... There's two reasons why this church has no programs. I just can't seem to care enough. Two... I don't want to give you any other thing to do religiously than Jesus Christ. Once you have something to do, boy, there are people out there who love to do it. And they love taking the kids to summer camp, especially if it's a Christian summer camp. And I, you know, maybe that's just kind of sour grapes for me. I hated camp, hated it. Christian camp, Canada, many years. Sports Academy in Connecticut. Evan Wilson, Sports Academy. Mountain Lake Sports Academy. I hid in the woods. They never could find me. I was good at hiding. There were caves, and they couldn't find me to make me do sports. Well, but there are people for whom the arrangement of flowers. I mean, I, it's great what somebody does. We, Jen Loveless and her daughters made a, a, a garland. It was snowed like Billio up in Rathrum last weekend for the wedding. And, uh, and they made it a lovely garland just out of stuff so that women could do things like that. But some people, that's the religion, how they decorate the church, how the church looks. Getting your kids into a good summer camp, maybe occasionally going to a, a, a marital retreat 
to put Jesus back in your relationship with your spouse. That's about it, you know. It's, it's so far, that's so far below even the six-figure income. We're supposed to be pursuing Christ. He disciplines us. The world comes at us hard. We don't always control it. And you might be the one with the cancer. You don't uh, always get it the way you wanted to do it. You might be the one who can't make ends meet. But the world, that's the way the world is. Christ went through it too. Therefore, verse 12, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Because there are people who not only don't lay aside the weight, don't lay aside the sin, they are, like Evan is physically, not going to be a runner. The droopy hands, the weak knees, the the, the, the hiccup in their get-along, something like that. They don't mind how they're built. Their drooping hands, their weak knees. I hear you on the left-hand side. It says, it says, first we adjust what we carry. Understand this is an image you're being given of running this race with perseverance. You adjust what you carry. So that anything that would stop you, slow you down, you put it aside. If it stands between you and Christ, it stands between you and the joy of God, it stands between you being seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavens. And here, verse 12, it's you adjust your capabilities. Uh, your actual, as, as long as he tried to run. No, fix your inability to run. If Evan doesn't run, Evan's got to learn to run. Right? Evan's got to go get his wind back. Evan's got to maybe walk fast around the block one or two times. And then maybe after a few months, the doctor would say, yeah, you might want to try jogging. And he could move a little faster. Things have to be strengthened to do this race. So what's the image of God? With the drooping hands, the weak knees. You're busted. You're broken. Can't do things. Can't lift your own body to run around the block. You're lame. You're disabled. And so we all go Americans with Disabilities Act, and we want a ramp put up. We got a one of the churches with a ramp, which is nice because we're getting old. We're going to need that ramp. It's a metaphor, and it's not a it's not a bad thing to have a ramp. But that's what we do. We accommodate the lame. In this race, there's no excuse for the disabled. Your drooping hands, your weakness, your fault. Lift them up. Strengthen them. Now I would suggest to you, it's what you believe. This is a spiritual image, physical image for a spiritual problem. You lay aside weights, you lay aside sins, you lay aside things that would distract you, slow you down, and you lay aside inability. There are some people who cannot obey Jesus Christ in some area because they just believe the wrong thing. That they're somehow saved. 
Say you're a, some sort of depressive individual and you believe you're so wonderful that your brokenness ought to be the attention of everyone, including your God. Well, it's going to be hard, because it's not. Or you're an angry man. Or you're, oh, pick a problem. Your theology, your cosmology, what you believe is going on, what the world is supposed to be like. Are you supposed to be building a utopia here? It's never going to be. It's always going to kill people. We're building a race that we look to our God who is seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father, who has reached the joy that I'm supposed to consider in running after him. And then it says in verse 3, and make straight paths for your feet. You're supposed to put down the weight. You're supposed to remedy the problems you have and who you are, how you think. And then you change not, you don't erect a ramp because you're a cripple. You make the kind of thing that is therapy. Right? One of the worst things you can do in this church is admit to Glenda that something hurts. Because she will give you therapy, which also hurts. She sends you home with homework, which also hurts. But eventually, and I, I disbelieved, she got me this uh, red twisty thing from, I had a bad elbow. And I did what I was told, standing there in my skivvies and my room, twisting the thing. And it worked. Hurt. And it worked. But you're trying to remedy what's broke, get rid of the things that hold you down, get rid of the ideas and the misapprehensions that make you a cripple. And then you put yourself in some situation where you are being strengthened, you're, you straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. You're, you're being brought to a good and better place by what you've done. But the whole task is running towards Christ. See to it that no one fail to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by it the many become defiled. That no one be immoral or irreligious like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, if you design your own award, trophy, taped across what is success in your life, you'll be wrong. You can't keep these things from happening to you. You can't guarantee anything. And if you do the wrong thing, you may pass up the only hope you have of getting at the right thing. Esau tried, he could not. When it turns, I had this passage out of Deuteronomy on the side here, which had the, the poisonous and bitter fruit. Thus to be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. And people have tried to get me to go work out, or run, or do all sorts of things. I'm, I'm stubborn. I ain't doing it. 
I don't have that privilege with this. I can fight with them about, very briefly, unless I get winded, um, about person's idea of, 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 of the sportsing life. Well, this is a race all Christians have to run, this one. We have to look at Jesus Christ. We have to get this straight. We can't expect that your utopian bliss is going to be provided to you. And you need to keep in mind the kind of thought that does not make you a cripple. The last little bit here, where, where's my watch? The last few verses from 18 to the end, verse 25, he tells you two things. He said, you have not come to something, you have come to something. He says, this is what you are encountering, so know the difference. You have not come to what may be touched. And too often, that's the thing that sets us aside. I could touch my family, my furniture, my money. I can touch my reputation. But here it's religious touching. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers entreat that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Um, that's pretty sublime there. That's, that's uh, some pretty dark stuff. Lightning, mountain shaking, the people of Israel going, oh, don't let him talk to us anymore. You go talk to him. Ah, that's the kind of religion I want. Well, you don't get that kind of religion. That's not what you have come to. See that verse 18? You have not come to. What you have come to in verse 22, but you have come to, not Sinai, not the law, you've come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is the God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's that martyrs up above. And to Jesus, who we are told to run after, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. That's what you've come to. What a better religion is grace over law. The darkness of the threat of the same God becomes the great joy of standing in the company of our God in his grace. A gr more gracious blood was spilled than was spilled in the temples of Jerusalem. Now, I was having various thoughts about, we were watching something in the library the other night, women were talking about uh, how sweet it is to see a small child perform on, what is that show, America's Got Talent or something like that. Some little five-year-old trots out there, sings her piece, women crying. Doesn't have to be that good, but women are crying. Let's vote her winning because she's a little and incapable. 
We know that we create Special Olympics, right? You have a child that struggles mentally. You also know this nation, big-hearted, creates a thing called the Special Olympics where everybody wins. Things, good things happen. They're encouraged. You're not in the Special Olympics. We're not here to just look at you stumble and fall. Look at you run that race like a stupid person. Look like you don't think at all. Just wandering around the running into the stands. Oh, it's so, it's so special when someone who's incapable does that. You are not. You just decided, I'm going to carry the weight and then I'm going to have belief about my own world that I get to run where I want to run. Be where I want to be. Run as fast and point it at whatever I think is right. I want to be about the Old Testament. You don't get to be about the Old Testament. You have come to Zion. Jesus Christ in his mercies. I have another friend who was always posting videos of his dog running courses. And they train those dogs. And, they, and nothing is worse than someone getting out there with a dog. It, you know, senses some bitch in heat four counties away. Boom! Gone. Thousands of dollars, the trophy. We're not poorly trained dogs. We're supposed to be very well trained. We should be pointed at the right thing and understanding the right thing. Believing in a religion, not that one that rewards us here in this world, but one that uh, is about the true thing all religions are about. Did we know the God? Did we find the God? Do we point ourselves to serving him eternally? Last verse. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. I don't want kind of want to have that felt as it's from God. You better not refuse. You will get the life. You will get the karma that you deserve. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your son who ran the race before us, for the joy, for that place in the heavens with you. We'd ask that we would set aside those things that trip us up. We'd set aside the mind that cripples us. We would get the therapy we need. And we'd point to the true religion. What you have done in heaven, in glory, in service to your grace and your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen.